Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always broadcasting first on WPVM LP, Asheville 103.7 and streaming online WPVMFM.org. The voice of Asheville heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI coming out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com, if you'd like to hear more of Walter's music. As usual, Davine Dial, hats off to you. We appreciate you managing WPVM-FM. We couldn't do any of this without you. And if you'd like to reach out to me, nave at jamesnave.com is a good way to reach me. Also, any Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and noon Eastern Time, my creative collaborator Allegra Houston and I host an imaginative storm writing prompt of the week session. It's a workshop. It's a Zoom call. It's conversations about writing. It's a wonderful hour. Plus, we add a salon afterwards and talk for another 30 minutes or so about writing. If you would like to do that, there's never a charge for our gathering on Saturday. And you can always find the Zoom link at imaginativestorm.com. Today, I have an old friend on the call. His Juan Isidro Concha and... I used to know Juan Isidro back when he was in high school. And Juan Isidro was part of the Taos community slam scene, poetry scene. I was not in high school. He was. And he was trying to figure out how he was going to take the writing talents he had and turn them into something that would work for him as an adult. So today he's working with the Taos News as a freelance journalist. And he's also still a poet. He's going to be doing a reading on the 24th of September in Taos. And he's just somehow managed to mix all this together. So Juan Isidro, welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio. Uh, Nave, it's good to see you again. I'm glad we got this moment. Well, it's been a long time. I remember the last time you and I did anything together, it was a long time ago when we went down to Albuquerque to the National Poetry Slam Championships. And I was helping the Taos team, the smallest team ever to show up at a National Poetry Slam Championships. I was helping the Taos team work it out down in Albuquerque. So you went, and I don't remember the other two people who were on the team, but it was quite quite a trip. I don't know. Do you remember that? A particular round, it was me, Krista Sperry, and Daniel Ingroff. Might have been Sherman Cortez along with that. God rest his soul. So you're naming all those people who were in the early part of the Taos poetry experience in Taos. Taos has always been known for its poetry engagement. It's been doing it for years and years and years. So you are now working at the Taos News. You live on the Taos Pueblo. You are a member of the tribe. And I wanted to start this interview. I was thinking about, well, what will I start out with? And I wanted to ask you to tell us why being a member of the Taos Pueblo community is so important to you, how that membership influences the way you interact with the community and the way you do your reporting here for the Taos News, which is a locally owned newspaper. Not many of those left. No, no, not. you're right. Not many of them small papers left like that. 
in terms of my writing, how it uh, coincides with me being a tribal member, uh, I should point out right away that I don't necessarily like leading with uh, the fact that I'm Native American as a writer. I would very much like to not be looked at as a good Native writer so much as I want to be seen as a good writer. And I think my talents speak for themselves. I can definitely write outside of the Native American indigenous narrative if I wanted to. I just find that subject matter to be a little bit more interesting to me. Um, it's uh, the reason behind my wanting to be a journalist. Early on in, 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 my, in my life, when you were a big influence as well, because Anne McNaughton and the late Peter Rabbit took me under their wing. Uh, as a high school student, uh, I was in the seventh grade. That's when I started writing. It was a bunch of stuff a seventh grader would write, uh, you know, prepubescent and, and through puberty <laughs> kind of stuff, uh, the stuff you'd imagine, right? And then in the ninth grade, when Anne McNaughton suddenly appeared as my uh, substitute Native American studies teacher, she gave a lecture which involved uh, some recordings of Sherman Alexie, reading some of his basketball diaries, uh, poetry. And uh, I was a big mouth kid and I drew attention to myself and she called me out on my stuff. Kind of where our relationship started right there. She was like, hey, would you like to learn how to do that properly? It was the 90s. I wanted to be a rap star. I was like rebellious about it. Like, what do you mean? Do it properly. I am doing it right. And she kind of showed me that I didn't have to rhyme all the time. And it worked out really good. And then it brought me into the literary world and the world of poetry. Fast forward to now, I write for the newspaper specifically because of the word accountability. It's a huge word in the Native American community and any Native American community across the board, accountability. People either cringe or their ears perk up. I write unbiased. I, I just want the facts. I just want to, you know, put the information out there. And at that, I'm not trying to do any of that really hardcore investigative journalism, you know, exposing corruption. I'm no Aaron Brockovich, definitely not. I would much rather, as I was saying, change the native narrative. I know that's a really big buzzword right now. Those are huge buzzwords in the native community and the native world. Change the Native American narrative. And it's like, I don't really know what they mean by that. I don't even know what I mean by saying that. All I know is that I want to show my people in a, in a better light. Now you get to actually see the lighter side of Taos Pueblo, the, the, the better side of Taos Pueblo, the real side of Taos Pueblo, all that alcoholic stuff, all that death and woe and misfortune and, and all that stuff. That's not really what Taos Pueblo is. You know, that's what outside influences have created inside Taos Pueblo. When you think about alcohol, it's important to point out that this country is awash with alcohol from top to bottom. Alcoholism has been a problem and continues to be a problem for people in every community, no matter where they live in this country, beyond the borders of America, go to any of the European countries and you find alcohol all over the place. So alcoholism and problems with alcohol, driving under the influence, 
happens every day in every community all over the place. And so I think that's worth pointing out. So people who do have alcohol problems, it has more to do with just whoever they happen to be as the individual and the circumstances that have ended up surrounding them within the context of alcohol within their own community. Any place I've ever been and all the places I've been, you have both sides. Taos Pueblo has the person who's driving under the influence. You also have people who are writing terrific poetry. They're raising their families. They're doing everything anybody else would do anywhere else in the world. So I'm glad that you are at the Taos News doing a focus on what life is just like in your community and tying that a balance into the other communities that surround um, surround you and, and then rippling on out from there. I love the notion of accountability because it brings up the term accounting, which quickly moves to math. One and one is two. When you are accountable, you try to or work your life so that you have things add up so that when the equation ends up with its solution, that solution helps other people. I hope my solution is helping other people. And I've come to terms with my own alcoholism. I won't say it wasn't a struggle uh, because it definitely was. At the very end of it all, it came down to a conscious decision. That conscious decision has yielded all these benefits. Coming back to the newspaper, coming back to writing. My wife got me in school. Uh, so I was able to finish up my, my degree there. And now I'm basically living the dream. Got back to my writing, which has always been my compass in life, you know, uh, and for a long time I was without my compass. I wasn't writing. It's only been a couple of years that I've been writing for the newspaper. I think a lot of people within my tribe are still reluctant to speak to the media because of past experiences and or preconceived notions of what could happen when one speaks to the media. But the thing that I want to express to those folks is that I am one of your own. I know very well what can and cannot be spoken about here at Taos Pueblo in terms of privacy of our, our religion and our culture and things like that. However, I will say this. When I was in high school, from the very people that are in control of our collective lives here at the Pueblo. And I don't, I mind you, I'm not necessarily talking about tribal government here. I'm talking about department heads and managerial positions, people in those roles. These are the people when I was growing up that were always saying House Pueblo needed a voice. We need an outlet. Where's somebody to ask these questions for us and put it out there publicly? You have one now. Please trust me. This has always been what I wanted to do with my writing from the very beginning, even as a poet, was to tell my people's stories and tell them in a good way, tell them truthfully and honestly. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do with the newspaper stuff. What are some of the stories that you've told in a good way? Emilia Lujan, beautiful young sister here from Taos Pueblo, internationally renowned hoop dancer, granddaughter to uh, Bobby J. Lujan. He was my Kiva elder as well. Chris Lujan's daughter, Deer Snow Trail Studios and Farm. The uh, podcast YouTube that I did with the newspaper called uh, In the Valle, 
prejudice and reconciliation in Taos. That was huge, phenomenally huge, man. I got to talk to John Nichols, uh, you know, Milagro Beanfield War guy. I got to, to talk to Iris Kelts, one of the original Taos hippies, right? Uh, I got to talk to Larry Torres, who is a just a bottomless pit of information and knowledge on this entire valley. Even my own people, you know, uh, it's it's great to hear him talk. And uh, the list goes on. Ilona Spruce uh, and McNaughton. I mean, I, I spoke to a bunch of people. There was it was a nine part series on YouTube at the Taos News Channel. So check it out. We just talked about prejudice and and how it's so different in Taos. In Taos you don't see those kind of lines drawn too often between colors and creeds. The reason we did it was to kind of show that and hopefully maybe model that for other communities to, to, to do, to follow. Cause I really think Taos is kind of that beacon and it always has been from time immemorial. The Pueblo has always been that hub where people would meet to, 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 to do market and trade and, and, and whatnot and then commune together, you know? So. There's an ease here around the different groups of people who exist and work and play in this valley. Where well, that's true. And I think it goes back to ancient times. You know, like I said, this this place was the the crown jewel on the Santa Fe Trail before the Santa Fe Trail even existed. Pueblo has always been that place, like a bazaar almost. It makes perfect sense that there would be this underlying acceptance because it's always been there. House has always been an open, welcome place. And I know you've heard this before. It's not the people in Taos that decide who gets to stay in this valley, man. It's it's the the big mountain up there, that prestigious peak, you know, that that protective peak that decides it'll either chew you up and spit you out or it'll embrace you lovingly. And I think everybody in Taos knows that everybody in Taos who's lasted here knows that. Well, people who are listening to this show are listening to this show in-house because it's on KCEI. They're also listening to it on SoundCloud, and some of them are in Europe. And then this show is also uh, aired in Asheville. And in Asheville, you have mountains, beautiful Appalachian mountains. They call them the Southern Highlands, graceful, easy green mountains. Here we have the Southern Rockies and the mountain that you referred to so for those people listening outside of this area would you go a little deeper into your reference to the sacred mountain the taos mountain that we all look at every day living here in the valley it's a great representation of what is the sacred my people have been here since time immemorial if you want to get scientific about it Pueblo was once carbon dated back in the 90s, and I believe the results came back to be over 1,200 years old. So there's that. And I would have to say that's that's just science being science, and it's probably a lot older than that. That's why we say time immemorial, right? I think that's a really mystic way of putting it. So the mountain, it's a great representation of what is the sacred the mountain has its purpose and its place among the reverend. But it's actually what's nestled behind the mountain that is the holiest of holies, which is our our lake, Blue Lake. I'm dancing around the sanctimonious, so I'm not really going to go too deep into what it means or anything like that. So that's 
probably really what I have to say is that it's a great representation of what is sacred. It's a double peaked mountain. Our ancient village is nestled right below it. And there are numerous trails uh, that are only accessible for tribal members that we utilize still today that have always been utilized by my people since time immemorial. That permanence is really what draws people here. And it's something that I've been kind of thinking about lately, you know, the, the permanence and, and, and everything, because I myself am feeling very grounded these days here. Growing up, it was always a, a clamor. To, to get up and out of this place. It's too small. There's nothing to do here, blah, blah, blah. It's so boring. And then I've been through the hustle and bustle of big city life. I've lived in other country atmospheres. There's no place like home. The permanence of this place has a lot to do with people wanting to be here. I just did an interview with Jenna Bass, who was a displaced tribal member. She grew up in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, so kind of upper crusty a little bit, you know, and living with her father, who is a, a renowned sculptor, Alan Bass, and grew up in that art world, right? Uh, but never really got to live here. You know, always was back and forth experiencing it just at a glance and then back home and then her first ceremonies and then back home. She's home now. It's just one of those things, man. You can tell the mountain has already accepted her and embraced her. You know, she belongs here. Well, one of the things about the Sacred Mountain, from my point of view, I came here in 1995, and I've mostly split my time between Taos and Asheville over the years. And when I first came, I heard the story of the Sacred Mountain. It sees you. It decides what it will do with you. It either embraces you or it rejects you. And, of course, people refer to it to it as a mountain. Also, seems like it's alive. One of the things I've noticed about that idea of the mountain seeing you, everybody seems to say, okay, I get it. I understand. Very seldom have I ever heard anybody reject that idea. And it's unusual when you have many, many different groups of people showing up in an area like this with one strong idea, like the mountain sees you, the mountain makes its decision, the mountain embraces you, or the mountain rejects you. You throw that out in other parts of the country and you'll get a fair amount of pushback. Well, I don't know. You know, how I can't believe that. I, what, what, what does a mountain have to do with me here? You know, you don't get much pushback on that. Okay, fine. I will await my verdict. And then it happens and some people stay and some people go. So I love that idea. And also you mentioned the, the sacred part of it for your community, your tribe. And I'm thinking about all the communities I've been in. They all have rituals. They have sacred places, maybe not as well established. I mean, you're referring to 1200 years and even further back, likely. So when you have a group of people connecting that deeply for that long to a piece of land with that much reverence, it makes sense that the stories that rise from that long-term centuries upon centuries of reverence would ring true to anybody who listens. I think so. And like I said, you know, I think it's the permanence, you know, that, that permanence is really what kind of draws people, you know, but say what you will about the, the tourist aspect of things. And 
you know, I know there's a lot of talk right now in the community about gentrification and people coming in and that's not the way our Taos is supposed to be. And quite to the contrary, that is the way Taos is supposed to be. It's changing, it's ever evolving, and it's ever embracing new and different ideas. And if you really think about it, the scientific side of things with the collapse of the Anasazi culture and the rise of the Puebloan culture, you see that adaptation is a huge thing. Let me just read you something real quick, put it into perspective. This is from the Second Chance Thankful show that's coming up this uh, September 24th, 6 p.m. at Somos, uh, Aki and Taos. It's called My Home. The smell of wet minty sage after a late spring soak of mountain rain. Pinyons bursting with nourishment, life embodied, the seed, my home, grows. Under the careful watch of a protective peak, dry creek roads and sunset chants, serenade evening magpies to the saltillo clippity-clop of Appaloosa shoes. Vibing on cool adobe, gourds rattle, my home, dances. Red cedar burning a familiar love, dreams in solemn smoke rising into blue lake moonlight, shimmering, sparking a familiar feel as the drum beats, boom, 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 boom. My home bleeds. Through ancient aquifers feeding the red willow, two muddy palaces, resilient and proud, between a thousand years of tradition and the future, my home stands. Proudly, a humble people practice principles, impressions left in stone before the sangre of their Cristo dried while the earth was still soft, from a time immemorial. Whispers of the old speak Tiwa, and my home prays. Prayers that echo further than forever, clandestine ceremonies, caravanning invocation for every soul, for every spirit. Suns rise and set, moons wane and wax, curtains call the ends of acts, chapters close, but my home, our home, lives. Taos will always be here, no matter where we go. And the reason Taos will always be here is because it's not necessarily a place, because Taos has existed elsewhere before, in time and in space. And it's always right here, man. So they, when they say home is where the heart is, I know that's a very country, Midwestern American saying, but it's true. Home is truly where the heart is. I believe that. And... In many ways, a lot of the conversations that we have all over the world, the conversations always seem to bring us back to where we started, where we were born. People try to make peace with it. You said, I've traveled away to the cities and I've returned home. The home is an idea that lives beyond us. Home is an idea where we dwell. And when I think of the comment you made about change and the piece you just read, which of course is beautiful. I've always loved your work. I'm glad to see that you have evolved, that you have changed, that you have formed yourself and are continuing to form yourself. You know, a child went forth every day and the first object that child looked upon that object that child became. So when we think about our communities, Taos community, the Asheville community, and anywhere else anybody's listening to this show, I have never known a community that remained the same. It always changes. And 
we as human beings change constantly and we're evolving, we're moving through our lives and then eventually our lives fade and we're no longer there and then we become part of the memories of what we now call home. Do you have another piece that you could read from what's coming up on the 24th, which will be tonight, if you're listening to this show on KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos. And if you are listening to this show somewhere else, it will be Saturday night, September the the 24th. I think it. I'm going to say 6.30, show up. Maybe you're going to open it at 7. Is that about right? Uh, most likely. Yeah. It's not going to be too long of a run in show. It's a small chat book. Uh, we're talking maybe 20 minutes of poetry and probably an additional 15 or 20 minutes of just chit chat. <laughs> so I can introduce the pieces and stuff, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it's going to be Jimmy Santiago Baca is reading in the park earlier that day. So I'm definitely going to be there at that. And that ends at four. And then there is a recovery purple candle vigil at the Pueblo there in, in honor of those that are in recovery. I'm going to be at that. And then that ends at 530, uh, 6.30. And right from 6.30, straight over to Somos. And we're going to get the show going as soon as everybody's settled. So it may be a little bit before seven. I would say get there right at 6.30. A little piece called February. Should I be talking with spirits instead of this page? Or do I pray? From one father to another, do I talk this way? No matter what doctors say, just keep the faith. Can I say that up and down these sterile halls, tragedy exists in the chest of little miracles. Life through tubes and respirators. Parents learn to let go. Parents learn to persevere. Pediatric intensive care unit veterans. Can I say that, that we're scared, that we're terrified, that somehow it's all our fault? the helpless parents of the helpless. Can I say they call it transposition of the major arteries, but really it's just messed up plumbing. Surviving through the leaks, the VSD, one defect killing, one healing. That there's a third and fourth narrow vessels in a bad flight. Would'ves, should'ves, and why's keep piling up, and I ain't thought of much else. Can I talk about purpose and say that in the instance I first held a little star, life got simple. That bleach scrub walls provide enough space for high def memories too bright to ever fade. That pain is great when watching brand new life deteriorate. It hurts so bad. We can't let go. I can't let go. And want to talk about shame. My shame. Me, me, me. Because I know I'll end up making this about me. Can I talk about pride and put selfish wishes aside where dreams of memories not yet had infuriate blasphemy like a shot in the nuts from Jesus? At a crossroads where we'd rather set up camp than see the end, choose a path. We hold tight to teachings we can't give. It ain't fair to never see them splashing, sloshing home in waterlogged Nikes. I just bought them yesterday. Out in the fields, knee high in rubber boots and irrigation dishes. And all this is just an old poem. Can I say that I don't even want to breathe and stand tall while knees crumble beneath me? No fingers to point, not even skyward, because acts of God are to be dismissed as such. Will the sun rise tomorrow? We question, knowing no explanation will ease the guilt, because I know it's my fault. And to convince me otherwise would be to breathe underwater. Fish don't swim and birds don't fly. Tell me I'm lying. Make me talk of dreams that bring me smiles in my sleep, unaware broken hearts can't love, but battle to live with a wish for death, because I'd give my last for his first again and again.
temples are poisoned and babies are born with wings. In my first relationship, we lost our first child, transposition of the major arteries. Uh, that's what it was. It was an act of God, completely undetectable until birth. He lasted about six months, Presbyterian Heart Hospital. The heart surgeon funked out on us and decided not to do the surgery. His associate had an associate, a colleague from college, whose whole career was based on this particular ailment. They flew us out to Philadelphia. On the way to Philadelphia, he, my son went two and a half hours without proper foods and oxygen. So instead of the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia getting a healthy candidate for surgery for heart transplant, instead they got a dying baby. So long story short, he didn't make it. We landed here in Taos, much against the flight nurse's wishes. She was really pissed off at the pilot decided to land in Taos instead of Albuquerque where the flight originated. War Chief staff here from the Pueblo escorted me to the Pueblo. Oof, this is always the part where it gets hard. I went inside the Pueblo, I rang the bell, and <clears throat> I had never seen so many people just randomly inside the Pueblo. It was like they were waiting for me to come home and do it. And uh, it was it was just, yeah, that's when I decided that I would use my talents to do something for my people. But I was really messed up in the heart and in the head at the time. So I ended up becoming an alcoholic instead. <clears throat> my wife pulled me out of that. Uh, without her, I wouldn't be here today. She, I, uh, after my son passed, I was really literally trying to kill myself with alcohol. I, I had no inclinations of putting a bullet through my head or, or anything like that. But um, if it hadn't been for her, it, it might've led to that eventually because the, the alcohol just wasn't working. I mean, I even drove my vehicle down the wrong way uh, on the freeway in Albuquerque and <laughs> something was there keeping me safe, you know, uh, and, and something has always been there. There's a huge part of this book, this chat book that's coming out with the show Second chance, thankful. It's that's what it's about, man. I have a second chance at life. I have a second chance to do what I originally set out to do. You know, to serve my people in the way that I that I that I've always wanted to. Well, you know, I remember when we first met, and you were in the ninth grade. I was working here in Taos, going back and forth, as I've said, to Asheville. So I worked with you and those other students, and I remember you were saying that then this is what I want to do. That's, this has always been, been your theme. If you don't mind, what was your son's name? Um, Cole Little Star Concha. Well, I'm sorry for your loss, and I'm thankful that you have enough wherewithal to be able to tell the story because it certainly has great meaning, I'm sure, to those listening and for me personally. Do you feel your son's spirit? How is it influencing you? What's it doing for you? Hummingbirds have a lot to do with it. There was a point when uh, it was just after he passed away and it was like the middle of January in the middle of a whiteout snowstorm. And I was just standing out on my dad's front porch. I can see where I was standing from where I'm sitting right now. 
I was standing outside on my dad's porch. I can see where I was standing from where I'm sitting right now. And standing there on my dad's porch, looking out into that just white out nothing. And I hear this faintest little, you know, chirping, little, you know, little, right? And it can't be. No way. And here comes this little hummingbird through the damn snowstorm. And it sits there right in front of me. And it flutters around a little bit and then it speeds off. Like hummingbirds do in the spring and summertime. And it's the dead middle of winter. And my aunt happened to be standing there, my Aunt Dolores, and she comes out of the out of the house. And she put the shoulder, hand on my shoulder, and tells me, see, he'll find little ways to tell you he's okay. And ever since then, you know, it's been okay. Uh, I'm not saying that it's been easy. I will have to say that in these kind of situations where a parent outlives a child, you don't necessarily ever heal from it, but you do learn how to persevere, how to go on. A big part of why I'm able to get through the majority of the story like I had now is because of Ted Wired here in Taos, uh, New Mexico. For a long time, I've been dealing with the loss and, and the pain and the suffering and just kept peeling back the scab and the wound was this festering, nasty, open thing. And this is all, you know, it's very graphic, but it's, it's an analogy that Ted helped me put together. And it's because I can't have this gaping, open, festering wound of, a, of an ordeal of an experience. I have to turn that into a scar of wisdom. And through the writing now and through going back to school and being in recovery, you asked me the other day when I ran into you if I'm recovered, and I said yes, but not that's a half statement. I don't think anybody truly ever is completely recovered. I think recovery is an everyday active thing. Well, when I saw you and asked you that, I was half thinking about substance, your recovery. I was also delighting in the fact that you had this amazing young career as the spoken word artist in Taos and and it was moving along and then you got a little twisted up so I think I was now that I think about it saying I'm glad you have recovered your momentum around the work that you were doing with your writing so one maybe never fully recovers but you can pick back up something you can recover it I recovered my momentum and now I'm carrying it forward so I was referencing that as much as anything else. And I was really glad to, I'm really glad to see that because I always thought if he ever catches that wind, that boat's going to sail quite a distance. <laughs> Thanks, Navi. I hope so, man. I, I don't want it to sail too far. You know, I, I, I don't want to, like, like I, I look at some of the native activists and Dude, I am so not that guy, man. I am so not the thick, long braids, you know, ribbon shirts. And, you know, I'll rock my mocks on Rock Your Mocks Day. I am me. I am definitely me. And I am all for standing up for my people. I like my setup now. I like that I'm writing for the newspaper. I love that I'm writing for the newspaper. I got to give a big shout out to Stacy Matlock and especially Lynn Robinson. That lady... She's the one that opened the door, man, and gave me the opportunity. Her daughter was just running for mayor. I voted for Genevieve Oswald. At the time, I was a county resident, so I could. 
Uh, <laughs> um, but Gen- Genevieve also owns the laundry, the the, the dry yeah, cleaners. Yeah, the laundry, and and, and <laughs> this, this is not this is this has nothing to do with swaying my vote or anything like that. But her and my mom are good friends. <laughs> I've known Lynn Robinson a long time, and she, like so many of the other artists I've known here in Taos and other places as well, what Lynn's done and what you are doing, and what I admire most about the the artist I know who who stand up for things, you stand up for your art first. Lynn stands up for her art first. And what I mean by that is she shows up today and does something. You show up today and you do something, and then tomorrow comes and you do it again. And that's what makes the contributions that you've made, Lynn's made, and the other people I know have made. Even this show is part of that. I do this show so I can get people like you to come and talk to me especially people whom I've known for, I guess you and I have known each other for at least 17, 18 years, maybe more. I don't even know now. I don't even know if it matters. It's quite a while. So I love to get people on this show to talk about these things because in our explorations through these conversations, we learn things and maybe people listening out there will learn something as well. And it's important the person standing right in front of you, that's the person who's the most important human on earth in that moment. Word. I agree to that. You asked me about my son's influence, my the one that passed away. I wouldn't say he's a huge influence on my writing. I don't, it's not often. I think that one piece is the one time I've actually ever wrote about him. It's not something I dwelled on in my writing. His influence comes in my family life. Like I said, my wife pulled me away from 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 the pit. And when I met her, she had two sons, Demetrius and Sheldon. They were three and two years old. And I raised them since they were two and three years old. And they're very much a part of the Pueblo. They've been to the Kiva. They've danced. They've ran for uh, May 3rd and such activities. And then we had Kale and Hunter. Kale is a spitting image of me, man. He he took all my hair, man. <laughs> and then there's Hunter, who's like very much like my mom. Uh, he keeps us all grounded, very, very well centered. And that's where the influence from him comes in. You know, I lost that opportunity with him. I'm not going to lose that opportunity with my boys now. So that's where that influence is. When I think about the way influences affect us, when you told the story of coming home and going back to the Pueblo and the folks gathering around, embracing you, accepting you, understanding the grief you were experiencing, you allowed yourself to connect to your emotional interior. You didn't hesitate. I watched it on the Zoom screen. People will hear it on the show. When one goes into those kind of emotional deep rooms, in their psychologies or when you went into your deep room into your psychology it allows me to do the same as the listener it gives us all permission to connect to those emotional interiors and when we do that we open up and we draw energy and that energy emerges out into our writing and when someone reads what we write or when someone reads what you write they reflect on what you are writing. They also pick up on that energy and they open up as well. 
So even though your son may not always be there, you are able to go into that emotional place, that emotional space, even if you're not aware of it, even if you're just writing about somebody hanging a red light down on the main drag, somehow it's still there. For me, every piece is different and every piece carries with it the, its own its own spirit in a sense. Every one of those pieces that I write in there is individual and almost, I would say, to the point where it's maybe a different person reading it, saying it. I, I know that he's around and in that very spiritual kind of way, yes, he is of influence. But when I'm writing, it is very much just me and the pencil or whatever the tool is that I am writing with. And the words, I don't know, man. I hate to say that. It's so cliche to say I am the vessel. You know, I think a lot of writers say that. And in my particular case, I really truly do feel like that because on one hand, I'm writing not necessarily for me. I'm writing for the people that around me, for my people. And that, that's the stories that I tell in the paper. And when I write poetry, that's just a reflection of the world around me. And I think that's important because the true mirror, the true reflection of society is in its poetry. This is a reflection of the society that I can see. And when we use the term vessel, a vessel is a delivery system. You load your cargo on the ship, the vessel, and you sail across the sea and unload the cargo in a harbor in another land. So it would be fair to say that we are vessels, artists are vessels, and anybody who does anything is really a vessel. You take whatever you create and you deliver it somewhere. So I, I think it can be a cliche, I'm a vessel, if you add too much importance to it. Staying right there on the water, if you will, or on the ground, the vessel is the delivery truck. It's the UPS driver who takes the package to the door. It's the, the local garbage truck driver that picks up the trash and carries it away to the dump. It's the <laughs> friend who goes to the grocery store and picks up the groceries for your grandmother and brings them home. You name it. So in some ways, I, we're all vessels delivering something. And that's what you're doing, my friend. I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I think I think all those analogies worked really well, except for the UPS truck driver part, man. <laughs> I mean, you know how it, you know how they can. I'm sure you've heard stories here in Taos, man, and probably even out in Nashville. You know, I, I reckon there's some there's some uh, boonie parts out there. You know, oh, they said my address is undeliverable. <laughs> but you know, dude, I, I don't know. I'm not. This is certainly not a plug for UPS, but those people that do the <laughs> delivery work. And they drive those trucks around. They are earning their keep. And I imagine sometimes they get confused, no matter whether it's a UPS truck or any, any other delivery truck. I know I've staggered around some places in different states I've traveled in. Back in the day when the GPS wasn't so engaged, I had to look at a, a napkin. Do I turn right? Do I turn left? Where am I? We're getting close to our time to say goodbye. Maybe right. offer up one last piece of poetry for us before we go. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is the crown ship piece in Second Chance Thankful. And the reason it is, is because it is very much me and 
you actually may have heard this piece before. This piece goes way back, but it's changed over the years. And it's called Speaker Hum. Sometimes these words speak right through me. Sometimes these words speak right through me and spill out over the page, 40 ounces of myself splashing on the curb. When I say that's my word, even though they don't really belong to me and are only part of the song of me, because these are the breaks. Break them up, break them up, break them up. I'm used to these words flowing, not knowing which way they'll sweep. My lightning lips speak no doubles about the troubles that plague my peoples and keep them higher than church steeples. Addictions of every kind, corrupt minds, cripple community, the blind, leading the blissfully ignorant. I'm sick of it. I want these words to ring with truth. I want these words to ring with truth and reach far beyond the soundproof booth, like sirens coming through for the world to hear, to make the world aware. There's still some natives out there past that big red casino sign trying to live like it's in the 1600s and party like it's 1999. So I'll peel these words from my tongue and give them to my son. If no one else will have them, since no one else will have them, that won't have them. Pick them to pieces and drop their own thesis. These words, sometimes they speak right through me. So sue me and I'll give half of the nothing I own. The what that can't be regrown from the rubble of our broken home. You see, I'm not alone. We poets are like raindrops, nourishing the world with canvas, cameras, paintbrushes, and ink to film canvas and paper, brick walls and aerosols through spinning vinyl and mic checks one, two, one, two. And these words are weapons of mass resurrection. Spirits of Quetzalcoatl, Pope, and Tupac reside in the sounds my syllables create when I'm up late and it's just me and destiny, just me and fate. These words, they just speak right through me. They just speak right to me. And they say, don't give up. Bravo, sir. Bravo. Well done. Before we say goodbye, tell people how they can get in touch with you. I know as a journalist, you're always interested in stories about the Taos community. And since this is airing at on KCEI, people might want to find you. So how do they do that? Yeah, that's uh, that's great. Um uh, best way to get a hold of me is through my Facebook page, the pages of Juan Isidro, the poet Concha. I know that's a long title. I'll say it again. The pages of Juan Isidro, the poet Concha. That's on Facebook. Um, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, right now, especially in terms of uh, stuff like this, uh, you can find all my newspaper articles there, links to them. Uh, we'll be getting a link to this show as well. So if you want to check that out later on, you can do so there again. Yeah, that's that's the best way. Message me. <laughs> All right. So the pages of Juan Isidro, the poet on Facebook. Is that right? The pages of Juan Isidro, the poet Concha. Juan that's Isidro, right. the pages of Juan Isidro, the poet Concha on that's Facebook. Right. Spell Concha for people for people. Just like the shell, man. C-O-N-C-H-A. All right. Well, Juan Isidro, man, it's good to know you now. It was good to know you how many ever years ago it was and um we look forward i'm unfortunately out of town on the 24th of september at 6 30 at somos downtown in taos to hear your reading but i wish you all the best in that reading and i know that your poetry career along with your journalistic career will just continue to blossom so thanks for being on the show my friend thank you thank you and uh if you want to catch the show while you're in transit I do believe that uh, old Mike Tilly bro over there at KCEI will be broadcasting the show uh, when it's happening. So 
If you want to tune in, folks, you can do so there. So the the show will be on KCEI, the same station that's carrying the show now, this that's show. Right. So, hey, listen in, my friends, and, and thanks again for being on the show. All right. Thanks, Nave. And there you go, my friends. Thus concludes my conversation with Juan Isidro, the poet Concha. And as you just learned in this interview session, Juan Isidro and I have known each other for many years. When I first started spending time in Taos in 1995, I came by invitation of um, an author. Her name is Julia Cameron. She wrote a book called The Artist Way, which is still very popular now. And Julia wanted me to help her run The Artist Way creativity camps, which indeed we did for a number of years back in the 90s. I came to Taos in 1995, and I came in June, and the first thing I noticed when I arrived in Taos was a poster for the Taos Poetry Circus. Why is this important? How does this tie into Juan Isidro? Well, the Taos Poetry Circus was a huge event that had been going on for a number of years. I believe it started in 1983 in Taos. And it's important because the Taos Poetry Circus was the bridge or one of the bridges back to the earlier days of the poets in the 50s in Greenwich Village and other places throughout the world. Some of the poets were the beat poets. Other poets were just folks who gathered at these early open mics and read their work. So at the time I arrived in Taos and Juan Isidro was young, thinking about being a poet or maybe maybe just sort of aware of it, Annie McNaughton and Peter Rabbit were hosting the Taos Poetry Circus. I had heard about this event, Whispers, You Should Go to the Taos Poetry Circus. I somehow had forgotten about it, so when I arrived in Taos and saw the poster, I was dramatically reminded, and I attended my first Taos Poetry Circus, June 1995. It was always the first full week in June. That was where I saw a whole week of poets gathering. I experienced it as much as saw it. A whole week of poets gathering all over Taos, reading their work, talking about writing, uh, journalism, what it meant to be a poet, why we do it, all the things that Juan Isidro is talking about now and talked about in this interview. So I went to the first circus and spent the whole week there. And at the end of the Taos Poetry Circus on Saturday night, Annie McNaughton and Peter Rabbit organized the Taos Heavyweight Poetry Championship. I don't remember who was there in 1995, but the whole idea was two poets go head-to-head -head for ten rounds like like in a, in a boxing match. You've seen the boxing matches. Muhammad Ali, the great boxer, squared off with George Foreman and many others. And they went at it for ten rounds or maybe fifteen rounds. I don't know now, but the Taos Poetry Circus Heavyweight Poetry Championship went for 10 rounds. It was not a poetry slam, even though the poetry slam in the Taos Poetry Circus emerged out of that same drive, much of it in Chicago. So by the time I arrived in Taos in 1995, Annie and Peter had really formed something quite dramatic and quite influential. And so I got involved with the Taos Poetry Circus, and I'm happy to say by 1997, I believe, or 98, um, Peter Rabbit and Annie McNaughton had agreed to allow me to host a poetry slam at the Taos Poetry Circus. So we had the competition 
Can you compete with poetry? Well, maybe you can, maybe you can't. A lot of people say that. I would argue that the poetry community, even though it sometimes seems easy and soft, sometimes in the slam competition, it's a little rougher. It's as competitive as any other group. All the poets want to get their word out. They want to to be noticed, be seen. Not a bad thing. You put so much effort into your work, why wouldn't you want to be noticed and be seen? So I suppose it's competitive like any other, any other genre. So anyway, I attended the circus, got involved with the slam, and also got involved with the teaching opportunities that were in Taos at the time. So I met Juan Acerdo at one of the workshops. He was one of the young poets. Naturally, it would follow. He would be at the youth workshops. He was, as he mentioned earlier in the interview, being mentored by Annie McNaughton. So he was there, like so many other young poets, wanting to do something. So I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to become involved with the Poetry Slam in in Taos. I helped it along. It was never a really great, large, gigantic slam, but it did have its moments. And some of those poets who came out of the out of that poetry scene in Taos, Lila June Johnson, for one, uh, Aaron Badhand, who's no longer going by Aaron Badhand, but you would remember her maybe as Aaron Badhand. And of course, Juan Asirdo was in that group as well. They all went on to make a mark and are still doing so today. So I had the opportunity to bring all of the work I had done with my Poetry Alive performance work in Asheville, North Carolina. I brought a little credibility with me because I'd been on the 1994 Asheville Poetry Slam team and we came in fourth in the nationals. In 1995, the Asheville Slam team won the National Poetry Slam Championship. I was not on that team, but I did witness the event in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So by the time I landed in Taos and was working with uh, Juan Asirdo, I did have a little background to bring to the table and added my two cents worth. So why is this story at the end of the show important? Well, it's important because you never know when your influence will influence someone else. This is true in the arts. This is true in all genres. So when you are connecting with people and giving them your experience, sharing your stories, trust that the rippling will start to happen and has always been happening. So I'm pleased that Juan Acerdo will be reading his work on Saturday night, and that will be at Somos in downtown Taos. Maybe you'll have a chance to go there. Who knows? So thank you for listening to this show. I do appreciate it, always appreciate it, and I'm glad to be in the poetry community and and also happy to be in the uh, community radio community. Don't you just love that word, community? So thanks for listening to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I am your host, James Nave, always broadcasting first on WPBM LP Asheville. 
103.7 and streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, coming out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com. If you'd like to hear more of Walter's music, Davine Dial, thank you for managing WPVMFM. Couldn't do this without you? Hey, it's great. We appreciate it. If you'd like to reach out to me, nave at jamesnave.com. Nave spelled N-A-V-E. Obviously, my website is jamesnave.com. And if you'd like to join me any Saturday morning for my Imaginative Storm Writing Prompt of the Week workshop, salon, gathering, we would love to have you. I work with my creative collaborator, Allegra Houston. The door is always open. There is never a charge. Imaginativestorm.com if you would like to find the Zoom link for that. And once again, I do appreciate you tuning in. Thank you ever so much. And I hope you join me again sometime soon. And until then, I will catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line.